Appreciate all of you who are able to join us on Friday for our, our Good Friday service as we celebrated and focused on what Christ did on the cross for us. I'm going to kind of piggyback on that this morning. And I, I want you to get your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at some amazing truth. We're actually going to be in Hebrews 12, but I want to start off. Of course, if I quizzed you guys this morning and asked you, what, what is the title, the overarching title of Hebrews 11? You would probably say that's the great uh, Hall of Faith uh, chapter, right? That's where we have honored and recognized great saints who have gone ahead of us who have demonstrated incredible faith in the Lord. Some of them experienced incredible deliverance. Others, though, uh, said they had a different story. It says, um, for instance, Hebrews chapter 11 uh, I believe I'm in 36 here, 35. Others were tortured. I love this. Refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They endured the suffering uh, that came their way for the sake of the gospel. So how many of you know what Jesus did on the cross on Good Friday, what we celebrate as Good Friday, is a model for us that are still alive as we continue to live faithfully. How many of you want to live faithfully before God? I can't think of anything that's more of a passion in my heart. I just want to run my race, and I don't want to quit. I want to finish. I want to run hard to the end. And and Jesus, of course, set the example for that. So in Hebrews 11 is our faith chapter. Uh, And then you go to Hebrews chapter 12, and let's start reading in verse 1. I'm going to actually focus this morning on verse 2, but let's begin in verse 1. It says, Therefore... Since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. If you're new with us this morning, we've been in a series, in fact, we're wrapping it up today. The series is called Shame, the Great Relationship Killer. One of the things that trips us up in life and paralyzes us is the shame that comes from guilt and comes from sin. How many of you know Jesus dealt with all of that on the cross? Because he wants us to get rid of the shame that so easily entangles us and keeps us from loving each other well and keeps us from loving the Lord well. And so Jesus is going to model for us how to kill shame. In fact, the message this morning is called trading shame for joy. How many of you know that's a good exchange right there? So I want to encourage everybody here this morning as we're wrapping up this series. And if you, if you are new, I'd encourage you to check it out online. I think it'll be a blessing to you. But here's the deal. We have the privilege because of what Jesus did in raising from the dead and what Jesus did on the cross for us to take the shame and the guilt and the sin that that entangles us and to hand it to the Lord to make that great exchange. And in exchange, he promises us joy. Now, now this is amazing. You were made for joy. I was made for joy. We were made for relationship with God and with each other. And, and I encouraged our church family, can we please continue? And by the way, you're doing a great job. This is not a correction. Can we please continue to make it our goal to love each other well and to love the Lord well and to move in a spirit of joy all of our days? If there's one thing that I want to hear said about living stones is those people are crazy lovers of the Lord. They're passionate about Jesus and they love each other. Man, the way they love each other, it's amazing. And there's a tangible sense of joy when you come into their church. How many of you think that's a good testimony? I think that testimony would please the Lord. Amen? That testimony would please the Lord. But it doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It happens because we're choosing to follow Jesus and what he did for us. And so it says here in Hebrews chapter 12, 1, strip off every weight, slows us down, especially sin. And then it says, let us run with endurance. Everybody say endurance. Important word, endurance, the race God has set before us. 
And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to keep our eyes on Jesus. He's the champion. And that's what we're celebrating on Resurrection Sunday. The champion who not only initiated our faith, but he also perfects our faith. How many of you believe that the God who started his work in you is big enough to finish the work that he started? And so can I encourage you? The devil's constantly trying to distract us and get our eyes off of Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, not on your past failures, not on your present challenges. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Everything else is a distraction. If you'll focus on the one who saved you in the first place and you'll stay focused on him, he will keep you saved throughout the whole journey and bring you safely home. Amen? And that's what we're after is being brought safely home. Now, let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This, this is where we're going to drill in today because this is where Jesus gives us the secret to overcoming shame. It says in Hebrews 12, 2, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And here's the good news. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Father, I'm just asking that you anoint your word today in such a powerful way. Lord, we know it's not any of us or our voices or, or our fancy preaching. It is the power of the cross. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the risen Lord. And Lord, I just pray you flow through these words and powerfully touch us all today. Leave a mark, Lord, in our hearts on this Resurrection Sunday in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Bible says, first of all, Jesus endured the cross. And, and I love this about Christ. He didn't only endure it, like gritting his teeth and bearing it, but the Bible says he willingly embraced the cross. Don't you love that about Jesus? Once he knew that the Father's plan was for him to go to the cross and to take our, his, our sin upon himself, he willingly embraced that agenda. In fact, the Bible says this about Jesus, John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus speaking, no one can take my life from me. Listen to this, I sacrifice it voluntarily. What a humbling thought that Jesus willingly embraced that cross voluntarily for your sin and for my sin. That speaks of his great love for us and his great honor of the Father. Jesus said, I have authority to lay it down, and when I want to, I can also take it up again. Luke tells us this, he says, Jesus steadfastly and resolutely set his face for the journey toward Jerusalem. When the time came and Jesus uh, knew it was time for him to be betrayed and crucified, he began to set his face and to head toward Jerusalem. I love this word, resolutely. Now guys, I don't know of a better picture of manhood in the whole world than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. He knows what's waiting for him in Jerusalem. And it says he resolutely, that means he is a man on a mission. It means he knows exactly what he's going into. He knows exactly the dangers, the risks, the consequences. He knows exactly what's going to, to hit him. The full weight of hell's fury is going to come at him. And it says he resolutely starts heading to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of leader that I want to follow. How about you? I, I want to follow somebody who, who counts the cost and then still shows up. In fact, that word endure is a powerful word. It's a military term. It's like this, if the general tells you, take this ground and do not give up this ground at all costs, die on this ground, shed your blood on this ground, but do not give up this position. It is a strategic position. That is what this word captures. It is, it is taking your post and enduring whatever comes at you and being under authority and you're not going to give up one ounce of the ground you've been entrusted to protect. I mean, you know, that's what Jesus is doing on the cross. And if he quits, 
And if he gives up, and if he loses the ground, then all is lost. So I mean, you know, that battle, as he's suspended between heaven and earth, is the battle of all battles. And the good news is, Jesus stays true to the mission. He's out to destroy the works of the devil. I love this. He's redeeming a bride for himself, a people for himself. And we talked about that on Good Friday. We pause to honor Jesus, the one who endured all the brutality and the shame and the pain and the horror of the cross and all of the, the, the vile attack of hell over his person, his identity, and his mission. Everything was, uh, was laid bare. Everything was assaulted. And shame was the devil's main tool that he used to discourage and to destroy Jesus. But he remained under. And I love this word because it doesn't only just re- mean remain under, but it means remain under, stay at your post with a vibrant hope and expectation. How many of you know to get through the challenges of life, you got to have hope? When you're, when you're assaulted, when you're going through a t- tremendous struggle and you're standing your ground, you have to have hope in your heart that you're actually going to get through this. And that's exactly what Jesus had in his heart, a sense of vibrant hope. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad Jesus held his ground for me. I'm glad that he remained hopeful. I'm glad he kept his eyes on his Father through the whole time. You know, Jesus was talking on the night of his betrayal. He was telling his guys, he goes, don't you realize I could ask my Father for thousands of angels to protect me, and he would send them instantly. Jesus could have aborted the mission at any time, but he didn't. He endured the cross, the full agony of the cross for us. But this passage also tells us how, and I think it's important. Jesus endured the cross by despising the shame of the cross. Now, you know that word despise is a strong word. If I told you act out what it looks like to despise, you would wrinkle your nose and, you know, twitch your face, and you you would convey as much anger and disgust as you could possibly muster up. And I don't know about you, but when I think about Jesus, despising and Jesus don't seem to go together. Jesus is a man of love. He's a man of compassion. But how many of you know when it comes to shame, he despises it? That's a strong word. It's a nasty word. It's a mean word. It's an intense word. But that was Jesus's attitude towards shame. Of course, we shared he was despised and rejected by men, but he took on that shame and he despised it to its face. In fact, this is kind of cool. The word despised means to think down on something or think little of something. So Jesus was saying all the shame that was piled on him on the cross, all the lies about who he was, all the lies about his character, he looked it all in the face and he thought little of it. I mean, you know, sometimes our problem with shame is we get embarrassed, that's what usually happens, we get embarrassed, and we feel like people are mocking us or making fun of us or exposing our areas of weakness, and sometimes the problem is we're still too focused on us. You know, there were times when I reminded the Lord that what was happening was not good for my reputation. And then he would gently tell me, it's not about your reputation. In fact, I'm trying to kill your reputation. You know, it's hard, to, it's hard to live under a cloak of shame if you choose to think little of it and to despise it. Or you can think a lot of yourself and hold on to it. But Jesus took the barrage of shame that was sent his way. He looked it in the face and he thought little of it. He, he esteemed it lightly. He treated it with contempt or disregard. He devalued, he depreciated it, he scorned it. He paid no attention to it because in his mind it was of little account. 
Now, this is amazing because shame in our world gets to be so big and blown out of proportion, but Jesus said, despise it. Look at it like, who do you think you are and what role do you play in my life? I'm not going to give you an ounce, an inch of room to manifest your power in my life. He despised it. You know, how many of you know Jesus was the living word and he knew the Bible pretty well? Uh, Jesus knew all the, all the prophecies from the Old Testament about him. Jesus knew the scriptures, and I'm sure he knew this passage in Isaiah chapter 50. It was a prophetic passage pointing to what was going to happen to him. Jesus says here, in the, or at least Isaiah is prophesying here, I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from the mockery and the spitting. What we noticed on Good Friday was there's two things that happened to Jesus during uh, that time of, of his uh, passion. There was a whole lot of mocking and a whole lot of spitting. How many think that sounds like hell? Mockery making fun of him. They made fun of his kingship. They made fun of him as a priest. They made fun of him as a prophet. They made fun of him that God, even God doesn't care about you. They mocked him. And every group that was around Jesus all spit on him. Now, we highlighted this Friday night. I can't think of a more shameful thing than for someone to walk up to you, look you in the face, and spit in your face. But it says a whole legion of troops after they pummeled him and mocked him and said, prophesy to us, they all spit on him. How I many you know Jesus was coated in human spit? I can't think of a more shameful picture of a person than to allow themselves to be subjected to that kind of vile, disgusting behavior. But look at what it says next. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. How I many of you know that's a declaration we need to make? It's our declaration as well. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Look at what it says next. This is a great passage. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone or like flint, determined to do his will. Jesus is going toward Jerusalem. His forehead is like flint, is like stone. He's not going to be dissuaded. And look at this. Here's a declaration about his future. I know that I will not be put to shame. Now, these are the kind of passages, I believe, that undergird our Savior as he's staring shame in the face. It's Isaiah chapter 50 that's probably running through his head. Satan was using every trick in his bag to destroy Jesus with shame. How many know the, the beloved disciples caved into the shame of abandonment? They all left him, and they were all, they, they were all living under the shame of having turned their backs on Jesus. His peerless reputation was assaulted with shaming mockery on the cross. How about his glorious holiness and the beauty of his person suffered the shame of nakedness. His health and his comfort gave way to shaming torture. And Jesus looked shame in the face and the Bible says he despised it. Well, what does that look like? Well, we, we heard on Friday night as Jesus is hanging suspended on the cross, there were all kinds of vile attacks and mocking and jeering and jesting going on. You know, the devil was saying all kinds of things about him. And I believe in Jesus' spirit. He's saying, you know what, shame? I'm not listening to you. What you're saying is not true. You're not going to get my mind off of my father and his, his affection for me. I am a man on mission. I'm not listening to your accusations about who I am. I know who I am. I'm the prophet. I'm the priest. I'm the king. I'm the beloved of the father. I am the savior. I am Jesus Christ, the Lord. And God is for me, not against me. He's going to, he's going to uphold me. He's going to stand with me. So shame 
You are nothing in my sight. You are little. You are not even to be focused on. In fact, if I focus on you, it is a horrific waste of my time because I have more important things to do. I am saving a bride for myself, and so shame, I scorn you, I despise you. You are disgusting. That's what Jesus did, by the way, for your shame and for my shame. But I mean, it was a battle, and Jesus made a choice. And Jesus did not take that shame on and let it wound his heart or get him off track. But there's more. We talked about he endured the cross. He despised the shame. But let's go back to the start of this verse because this is great news. It says, because of the joy that was set before him. So how do you despise shame? If you're going through a painful season, and we all have, if you've lost loved ones in, in the recent years, and many of us have, and you've had to come face to face with the sting of death, how do you press through all of that emotionally so that you don't get distracted? Remember we said shame and guilt and despair, all these things cause a disintegration in our minds and we lose focus, we, we get our eyes off Jesus and we get our, our heart gets all tangled up with all kinds of things. How do you stay focused? Well, Jesus told us that it was for the joy. Now, I love this passage because it starts off in Hebrews 12.1. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses who have gone ahead of us. You know, I can't help but stand in this pulpit and think that my father might be tuning into a, you know, a resurrection Sunday service at Living Stones this morning, checking us out. And I think many times, you know, what about all those who have gone ahead of us that are part of that great cloud of witnesses? You know, when you're coming around the final cur uh, curve on the racetrack, all right, and you're, you're finishing the race, usually your teammates are there and they're cheering you on and the stands are full of people and they're cheering you on and you feel like you can't breathe and you feel like you want to quit and your muscles are, are cramping up and they feel like your lungs are on fire and you feel like you can't make it, but you come around that last turn, Right? And what happens, man? you got a throng of people that are cheering you up, calling out your name from the stands. And you know what? What carries you around the final curve, the final turn, the final leg of the, of the race is this crowd of people that are saying, come on, you can finish. We finished well. You can finish well. So Jesus is making his final leg of his, his race, right? And it says that he's surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses that are cheering him on. And for the joy that was set before him, it was the joy that sustained him and gave him the strength to endure that final onslaught from hell. And I just want to say this. It, it is the fixed realization of joy that is ours that helps us get through this life and finish well. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's just, it is it is. How I many of you know when you're depressed and down, that's when the devil really lays it on you. But when you choose joy in the midst of a trial, it's like you're, you have a Teflon on you. And I tell people this, you know, Jesus was, I don't tell you this, the Bible tells you this, Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy more than any other human who ever lived. So I want you to think about this. While he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with suffering and grief, if somebody asked you, who's the happiest dude that ever lived? Jesus. So when you say the name Jesus, you should just smile. Just try that with me, all right? Just say, Jesus. You notice how easy that just goes? Jesus. You don't go, Jesus. That's hard to say Jesus with a frown. <laughs> Jesus. It just flows right out. So this is what I started doing. Before I had joy fully realized on the inside, I just told my face to fake it. And listen, it's better to have a face faking joy than a face not faking sadness. Think about it for a minute. 
So I started choosing to smile. It's very disarming, by the way, to other people. I started choosing to smile. And then, you know, when I found out, people smiled back at me. And I just started choosing to laugh. You know, I was telling my kids last night, I said, there's certain hills that, I, that are worth dying on. Most of them aren't. I've learned that after living a while. And I just choose, rather than to get overwhelmed and fret, full of fear and worry and shame and guilt, I just choose to be happy. For the joy set before him. Now listen, if Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, and he is the happiest human who ever lived, what does that tell you about God? Jesus said, if you look at me, to look into my face is to see God. And Jesus is the happiest human being who ever lived. So what does that say about God's heart for you? Some of you came here today and you're like, oh man, I, I know I need to get back into church more. I know I need to be more faithful. Oh, and you got your checklist and God's up there cracking the whip. And you got the totally wrong picture. Can I just say that the church of Jesus Christ has screwed up the gospel for, for millennia. If I said, what comes to your mind when you think of church and joy is not the first thing, we probably have messed up the gospel. Because really what this is about is a full restoration of how God made us and created us. And it's really about a relationship with a father, ready for this, who's not up there going, Joe Polanka, you, you know, Joe, you just need to show up at church more often. What is the matter with you, Joe? Shame on you, Joe. Shame on you. No, no Joe doesn't sound, or, or God does not sound like your dad or your mom or your pastor or some religious leader. That's not how God sounds. You know what? Every time you show up, God's happy to see your face. And the more you realize that, the more you show up. Now, I wasn't picking on Joe's church attendance, just to clarify that, all right? He's, he, he's doing a good job, and I'm proud of him and all that. But I'm just, I'm just want to set you all free. You know what? God's so excited that you all came to the party. Amen. And the whole reason Jesus busted out of the tomb is so that you could enjoy him and enjoy your father. And how about this? Enjoy each other forever. Now, this is the one that gets me. And I want you to pursue this with me for the rest of our days. Jesus said in John 15, 11, I've told you all this stuff so that you would be filled with my joy. Not filled with Ron's joy, but filled with my joy. Yes, that your joy will absolutely overflow. Now, what is normal Christianity? Right there. That the joy of God in our hearts is overflowing out of our lives continually. I had an encounter with Jesus one time when I laid on my floor in my basement because my life was so full of stress and I was so short and wired. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you're short and one, one little thing, you push the button. Because you're, 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 you're wound up so tight. In fact, somebody gave me, I remember back in those days, somebody gave me a coffee mug that had a stone with a snake on top of the stone and the snake was like a ruler. It was perfectly straight over the stone. So straight snake, curved stone, and it simply said, relax. <laughs> I think I was sending off the wrong messaging to people. And, uh, and I remembered what happened is my parenting started being communicated with impatience, anger, frustration. And I realized that's not my father. That's not how my father acts. I was so broken. Have you ever just been broken with 
how messed up you are. And I remember laying on the carpet and weeping. And here was my prayer. God, turn me into a joyful man. How I mean, you know that's a pretty good prayer? Now, let me just tell you, I had no idea how that was going to happen. But I wanted it. Because I realized, you know what? A frustrated pastor doesn't touch anybody's life. An impatient father doesn't bless his kids. An angry husband is not a blessing to his wife. And a man that can't walk in the joy of the Lord doesn't look anything like Jesus. And I want to look like Jesus. How about you? So I started doing a lot of repenting. I still am. I started doing a lot of crying out to God to change me. I mean, you know, sometimes we don't even know why we are the way that we are. I don't know why I was that way. I couldn't blame anybody but me. But I just knew it wasn't pleasing to the Lord. Because, listen, I finally got a revelation of a happy God. I got a revelation of a happy Jesus who even when he's going through this onslaught of hell against him, he despises and hates what's being sent his way, but his heart is looking through the cross. And I think the joy that was set before him, I think it's three things. I think, number one, in my mind, he's really happy that he's completing the mission God the Father gave him. Any of you want to just finish well? There's a, there's a sense of doing what you've been called to do and doing it well to the very end. I want to finish well. I think there was an incredible sense that, you know what, it is finished. Everything I had to endure for the sake of my father and for the sake of my bride, I, I've done it, I've completed it, it is finished. There's joy that comes in finishing the task. I think there's also joy in realizing that this momentary separation that he went through from the father was going to be completely removed, and he and the father we're going to experience the unbridled love and affection for each other that they've enjoyed for all eternity and will enjoy for all eternity. He's coming back home to dad. And then thirdly, this is where we come in. I think Jesus is looking through the cross and the shame and the agony, and he's picturing you and me. This is the humbling part. Jesus is crazy about you. His vision was to purchase, to redeem with his own blood a people, ready for this, for himself. Why did Jesus save you? For himself. Why did Jesus pay for your sin on the cross? Not just to wash your slate clean, but to remove every obstacle for his complete enjoyment of you and your complete enjoyment of him. If we could boil down all of Christianity into, into its essence, you ready for this? God saved you so he could enjoy you forever. And remember we said the way you fight shame is you need to be known, fully known, and fully loved. In other words, don't hide it, expose it. And let people know it and still love you in spite of your brokenness and weakness so what happens in heaven jesus washes the guilt and the shame and god the father knows us perfectly and loves us completely that's called eternal life and can i just say something else for the joy set before him he endures the cross despises the shame but he wants a family that learned to to move and operate in the same love that he has for the father 
Now, can we just pause there? This is what Jesus said he was going to do. Can you imagine loving people and loving Jesus with the same love that he has for the Father? What, what is that love like? And can I just say something else? We can't even taste of it apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, we could read that and go, wow, that is cool, but we can't experience it. How I many you know the Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good? Not just see that the Lord is good. Taste, mm, meaning you experience him yourself. Now, some of you might be thinking, Pastor, this is good, but you know it's Resurrection Sunday, and you haven't said a thing about Jesus coming out of the grave. Anybody have that thought yet? I, I'm, I'm anticipating somebody might have had that thought. Well, I want to end here. Look at what it says next, because this is good. It says, Hebrews 12, 2, Jesus is now seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Now, this is amazing. The writer in Hebrews skipped right over the resurrection too because guess what? He's already got Jesus alive and seated next to the Father. How many know that didn't happen until after Jesus rose from the grave? So this is awesome. We are living our lives from a place of victory and from a place where where the finished work of the cross is being released on our behalf. How many of you know there's not a demon in hell that can stop the church of Jesus Christ? This is awesome. And and let me just say this, the honor, the honor that was bestowed upon Jesus was directly attached to the depth of the sin, suffering, pain, agony, shame that he bore on his own self for us. How many of you know Jesus went through hell literally so that we could experience heaven? And and I want to encourage some of you, this, some of you, this is your first year without a loved one it's your first easter first resurrection without a wife without a husband without a son without a daughter jesus said this when he talked about the joy set before him he said these present sufferings are nothing in other words i despise them compared to the glory that awaits we have to be able to say that whatever has come our way that has been painful, shameful, hurtful, hurt-filled, whatever, we have to be able to say, say you are nothing compared to what is ahead. How I many you know that helps you get through the worst times of your life when you can see it and believe it, when you can taste it and see it? Because perspective is huge. Jesus mocked the shame. He despised the shame. He said, no, 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 no. You're nothing compared. You know, when, when, when Trump, here, here's what I've learned to do. It's kind of funny. But like when I hit my knee or something like that, or I hit my crazy bone, and I'm like, ah, I just start prophesying. I said, that feels good. That felt so good. That I am feeling wonderful. <laughs> Some of you might be going, Pastor, you're crazy. No, I'm just having, I'm having fun with the pain is what I'm doing. I'm like, mm, hallelujah, that was great. Let's do that. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. There's something powerful when you, for the joy set before you. Can, can I just encourage us? Can we ponder more deeply the joy set before us? Can you ponder what it's going to be like to see Jesus and not cower in shame, but start sprinting for him? 
falling, falling at his feet, hugging, hugging his resurrected body that still has the scars. Can you imagine what it's like when the doors are swinging open? It's your time, and there's your greeting party, all your friends and family and loved ones going, yeah, we've been waiting for you, and you're entering into the joy of the Lord. I, I'm looking out at Jared. We, we had a, a, a discipleship group this week, and it was, if I had to summarize First of all, my wife had to text me. She said, are you okay or are you guys just having a really good meeting? Um, we were having a really good meeting. It was late. And when I got home, I told my lovely wife, I said, if I could capture what just happened in one word, it would be this. It was a bunch of broken guys, you know, who are relationally challenged. <laughs> Some of you go, yeah, I know one of those guys. I'm there. Who had the most amazing, joy-filled time of fellowship? We laughed so hard, our cheeks hurt. And and here's the cool thing: this is a foretaste of forever. A foretaste of forever. And so I think about that. But but listen, let's not just think about it. Could we create a place where people taste and see the tangible joy of the Lord? I mean, think about that with me. When I set you all loose, as we do every week, to greet one another, please understand me, I'm not trying to be religious. Like, that's what that church does. They sing three songs, and then they turn loose, and they hug on each other. It's the weirdest place I've ever been doing in my life. No, no, how about this? Like, I've known Lynn Churchill for 30 years. She's such a huge encouragement to me. I get cards on, on Resurrection Sunday, and she remembers my birthday every year. And I mean, I don't know, by the way, I'm not expecting all of you to do all that. I'm just saying that's, just, I'm just saying that's, that's Lynn. She's a, she, she's a massive encouragement to me. I have joy when I'm able to look at you in the face and say thank you, and I love you, and I'm glad we've been able to do this for 30 years, and we've all grown, and we've all become better people because of it. But so, so when you do that, and you hug one another, and you say, hey, love you, thank you, mwah, mwah, mwah. we love you, appreciate you. This is, we're just getting a foretaste of what's coming. Right. Right. We're, listen, and we're also setting the table for the Holy Spirit. Whoa, do you all hear that? Yes. We're setting the table for the Holy Spirit to come in our midst in a, manifest, a tangible, manifest way. Amen. When churches fight and bicker, the Holy Spirit does not show up. When people aren't happy, the happy Holy Spirit doesn't show up because the Holy Spirit is also, he's just like God the Father and God the Son. He's a happy God too. So if you want to attract the presence of the Lord, walk in the joy of God and radically love people. Don't correct them first. Love them. Don't judge them. Love them. Don't fix them. Believe in them. And you watch how the Lord will transform us. You watch how the Lord will transform us. Stand to your feet, you happy Jesus-loving people. And if you believe what I just preached, I want to see all your pearly whites this morning. I'm going to say, I'm a nice job. TT, nice job. Guys are looking good. You guys look better, by the way, when you smile. I just wanted to prophesy that over you. You look... You look much better when you're smiling. If you're in a tough time right now, Lord, I just pray that hope would be released and joy would be released, and God, that you would move in our situation right now. We're going to have a team up here to pray with you this morning. If you're 
here and you don't know Christ, we just invite you, just come on up front and just say, hey, I'm one of those guys the pastor was talking about. I, I need to give my life to Christ today. I, I want to experience this overflowing joy that's not in my life right now. I, I want to know Jesus. And somebody would be glad to pray with you and help you with that. If you need prayer or there's a serious situation in your life, I mean, you know, the resurrection changes everything and it reminds us that the power of Jesus over death itself can conquer anything in our lives. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would touch people today and encourage people today. And, Lord, as we say our amens and as we walk out the door, just be present in all of our gatherings throughout this day. Lord, you're the reason we celebrate, and I pray that a tangible sense of joy would be felt in every family and every home. We give you all the glory, Lord, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, we love you like crazy. Have an amazing day.